This is The Trip That Changed Me, a podcast about trips that transform. I'm Esme Benjamin, editor of Full-Time Travel, and every other Thursday, I'll be sitting down with entrepreneurs, writers, entertainers, and everyday adventurers to discuss a journey that shifted their mindset, ignited a new calling, expanded their heart, or ushered in a new chapter. You may know my guest Ben Higgins as the star of ABC's The Bachelor and the co-host of the Almost Famous podcast, a show that covers all things Bachelor Nation. But you may not know that Ben has a deep affinity for Honduras, a country he visited on a disaster relief mission when he was 15. I caught up with Ben to find out how this experience changed his whole perspective on life and ultimately led to the founding of his purpose-led business, Generous Coffee. Ben Higgins, welcome to The Trip That Changed Me. Hey, thank you so much for letting me be here. This is a, a really fun interview for me because I am an unabashed fan of the entire Bachelor franchise. Are you really? <laughs> yes, I just started watching it when I moved to the States like seven years ago, and now I just feel bereft by the time Bachelor in Paradise ends and I have to wait for the next season. <laughs> Are you, when you first saw it, what was your response? I mean, you came to the U.S., <laughs> you watch and you're like, yeah, this is the place I need to be. This country makes <laughs> this makes sense. First, I was like, this show seems kind of silly. And then yeah. after probably half an hour, I was like, OK, I'm invested now. <laughs> That's me. I'm <laughs> done. I'm going to be watching this for the rest of my days. <laughs> it crosses geographical lines. I'm telling you, it's wild. I mean, I think the Philippines had it airing four years after my time on the show. And so I would watch it and, or I would see tweets from people in the Philippines being like, I love The Bachelor. Then oh I hope you choose this. I was like, I've been out of this relationship for years now. <laughs> so funny. But yeah, people love, people love love. They do, they do. And they love uh, reality TV also. To start with, I wanted to talk a little bit about your background because I feel like it's important to understand where you come from. You're from mm -hmm. Warsaw, Indiana, which has a population mm -hmm. of 13,000 people, mm -hmm. something like that. Paint us a picture of the town and what it was like for you growing up there. Okay, well, first off, great research. I am from Warsaw. It's it really... Okay, let me set the stage for you here. So I, I'm a Christian myself, but I also grew up in the most, literally the most like Christian town has to, one of them in the world. Like it has to be. I mean, it was the Methodist capital of the world for years. And so that's one way to set kind of the culture and the vibe of the town is it's, it's incredibly conservative and, and there's a lot of churches. So however you want to look at good or bad or indifferent, that's the vibe. And then the other, it's 13,000 people and it's the biggest town within 20 miles. So within 20 miles, 13,000 people is the biggest town. And then add in that you have a ton of agriculture uh, space. You have a ton of farms, beautiful farms. And then you have what is, it's the orthopedic capital of the world. So your hips, knees, shoulders, elbows, joints, all that stuff is, is made or comes from Warsaw. So then you have six massive companies that sit in this town as well. So altogether, it's like this little utopian society that <laughs> is isolated in the middle of nowhere, Indiana. And for for me, uh, it was an amazing place to be. But I also think it was a very safe place to be. Right. And how did you feel that that community influenced your expectations of the future? What did you think you'd be doing as an adult? 
You know, I think there's a couple of things in it, and I haven't yet figured out if it's what's good, bad, or good or bad about it, but there is a lot of uh, contentment in Warsaw, meaning you can have a really great job. Most, you know, the unemployment rate, I think, is like at 0.02% right now. And so there's like nobody that's unemployed. And your jobs from, you know, high level executives to manufacturing are all paying pretty well. And so there's a lot of contentment and there's a lot of peace and there's not a lot of suffering. So I think for me, as a child kind of growing up and getting into high school, I don't I don't think I had a full grasp of suffering uh, until my worldview was rocked. And I think we're going to talk about that here in a little bit. But what, it's, what it ultimately did was also set up a level of, of an idea of simplicity in me that allowed me to be um, joy-filled when simple things were offered. And so Warsaw doesn't have like your theme parks or a tons of concerts coming through or a nice food or bar scene. Like you have to find your own way to entertain yourself and to find joy in life. And a lot of that is through spending time with just in relationship with people. But yeah, I think, I don't think it's a fair way to view the world, but I think it's a, it's a really healthy town, which is ultimately something that's positive. You know, it's a town that has kind of figured it out, figured it out in a lot of ways on how to to keep their people working and, and happy. But when you look at the world outside of it, it's not always like that. And did you did you leave your Warsaw bubble very often? Did your family go traveling? You know, where did you spend your vacation time? Uh, no, we didn't leave very often. My dad was from there. My mom grew up about 40 miles south of there. All of my family lives within an hour and a half of Warsaw. So we didn't travel outside of Warsaw very often. Except for really the, the biggest trip to me was going to Honduras. And I think that ended up rocking my world so much that then anytime we did travel outside of like a vacation, then it was to Honduras because it was a place that kind of broke my heart and broke my family's heart. But we didn't, we weren't a big traveling family. My parents have never been to Europe. They've been to Central America, but never South America. We didn't, we didn't move outside of Warsaw very often. Well, the trip to Honduras, that was part of a, a trip with your, you took with your church, right? A mission trip. For somebody who isn't familiar, what's the purpose of a trip like that? Yeah, well, they're, they're a little bit twofold. So I think if you don't mind, I'd spend a se- I want to spend a second here because this trip was the trip that changed me. And I don't think it makes a ton of sense on why it did until I give a little backstory to right. maybe traditional missions. So the church, you know, as, as I said, I, I speak all of this from a place, and, and I only say this because I don't think it, I make sense or any of this makes sense unless you know what I believe. And I am a Christian, and I am still to this day, and I fully believe in Jesus, and I grew up in the church, and my church growing up was conservative. It, it did have kind of how you can imagine an evangelical church in Indiana, kind of their views. Uh, I may have gone away from some of those views, but I still believe in Jesus. And so part of the t- purpose of these trips was to— spread the message of Jesus. And just saying it like that, I think even I sometimes like my skin crawls a little bit because we've heard of the horror stories of what has happened when people have proselytized on the base of religion across the world. But when I was 15, my church took a trip down there to Honduras and it was a disaster relief trip. So what we do is we pass out food boxes, we talk about Jesus and we leave. And we went with an organization that specialized kind of in aid and, and, first response aid. So they would go into the places of hurricanes, earthquakes, fires, et cetera, and pass out these boxes and give uh, immediate relief. And then they would leave. Well, because of the kind of ability to advocate on behalf of their organization, they started doing these trips consistently down to Honduras uh, year over year with groups of people from churches. 
The problem, though, was that there wasn't a sustainable mission to it. And so a lot of it was the idea that we would help pass out boxes, but then we'd leave and come back a year later with and, and nothing would really progress. And so like the people that were still thir- that were thirsty before are going to be thirsty later. The people that are hungry before are going to be hungry later. So no matter what religion or uh, ideology you base this on, the, the mission wasn't sustainable. But this is what my church chose to invest into. And so that's what we did. So I went down there and um, went to a, a couple places outside of San Pedro Sula and we showed up and, and I, I'm, again, I'm coming from Warsaw, Indiana. We show up to these communities and there are kids starving. There's no access to clean water. There's no jobs. It's the houses are made of trash and bamboo and there's holes in the walls. There's all these things that I see for the first time ever. And then we pull out these food boxes that we pass out. And then we start talking about Jesus and then we leave. And I remember at the first, when I was a younger, when I was 14, 15, I remember just being super sad and going, I feel so guilty for the things that I have in my own life. And guilt was my first response and shame was my first response. And then fast forward a year and a year later, we went back down to Honduras, the same places, and people were still hungry, still thirsty, still without access to clean water or food. And I remember then my response was to be, be angry, angry at God, angry at others, angry at the situation. And I didn't know how to handle it or what kind of how to consume it all. And it started to break my heart because I realized that these people, these beautiful people had this lost the birth, birth lottery. They had no, they didn't force this on themselves. They had just been born into a community of people that didn't have access to jobs or any of these things. And that's where the generous and humane and hope united two organizations I partner with now come in. Because uh, Humanity Hope United was created by uh, a few of my buddies with the idea that they, we could build up sustainable communities in Honduras. Instead of just passing out boxes and talking about things and leaving, we would actually work with them in a partnership for the long term to help them build up these communities, to build in clean water, to bring jobs, to bring healthcare and education. I think what you said then was completely is completely essential. Like I was actually researching a story a while back on volunteering abroad, and I guess I didn't realize how controversial the subject is. Yeah. Once I started digging into it, it's exactly what you put your finger on. That you know, a lot of this stuff is just a temporary fix. It doesn't really change anything um, in a sustainable way. So it seems like what you've been doing with uh, Humanity and Hope United, it you know, it had a lot more of a, a long term view and a way to work and empower the community. It definitely does. I mean, that's the only way to do it. And there's a there's obviously things that come into play there. You know, we don't want to take away culture. We don't want to take away who these people are. We're just trying to work with them to help them be as, you know, they're, they're empowered humans already. And so they just lack some of the necessary things that we all enjoy in life. And there's injustice placed on them due to poverty that's been years and years and years in the making. And so, yeah, we want to find ways to sustainably support them. But None of that works unless my heart was broken years before and that my buddy Riley, who started Humanity Hope United's heart, was broken years before because we saw the despair and the hopelessness that these temporary fixes were causing. Was there one sort of significant lesson or revelation from your first trip to Honduras that that really stayed with you and with Riley? You know, Riley was working in investment banking uh, at the time. He was five years older than me. And so when I was young, he was just kind of getting his career started and he were good buddies. And he had the ability because of his investment banking background to invest some, some money financially in Honduras to get this thing started. So I don't, I know his heart was broken over and over and over again. One really incredible thing stood out to me. 
So one of our very first projects was to help a community put in a clean water tank. And how we do this is this, we help people, men and women find jobs. At the same time, we'll help fund and put in a water tank and then they actually pay for this water tank once they have jobs. So they pay to, to get access to clean water. Obviously we're not gonna stop them from being able to drink the water, but it does help them have ownership and shared ownership in this tank. Well, that was one of our very first projects. And after the tank went up, it was up for about a year. I went into this community called uh, La Carosa. And I sat down with one of the women that I'd known for years there. And I said, hey, how has life been since you've gotten clean water? And, and there was a, lot, a long conversation to be had about everything happening. But this is the moment that stuck out to me. She said, Ben, for the first time, she's 35 years old. She says, for the first time in 35 years, I've woken up without a stomach ache. Oh, wow. And for me, like we've heard these things on TV, right? And I mean, I don't know about anybody else out there listening or yourself. When you see these commercials about, you know, kids with flies in their eyes, like it does pull at you a little bit, but you, there's a lack of authenticity to those commercials because you haven't seen it face to face. You haven't been there face to face. You don't know what this organization is doing behind the scenes. And so for me, once it was placed in front of me and I actually was sat down with somebody that's been dramatically affected by the lack of access to something that I take for granted, it hit me that the pursuit to help people builds a sustainable future and the fight, the injustice of poverty was worth it. So just the thought that, you know, for me, and when I get a stomach ache, I'm curled up on my couch, you know, I'm, I'm not doing anything for the rest of the day. I'm taking the day off. And for her, for 35 years, she suffered with a, uh, with a stomach ache, still had kids, still tried to work, you know, still would feed her family. Like those are the things that, that shook me and that inspired me to keep going. Oh, that's, that's incredible. You were getting more seriously involved with this cause. Did you have a day job at the time? What was your life? What did your life look like at this point? Yeah, I did. I mean, so when I first started to help out Humanity and Hope United, I was still in college. And then I took a job in Denver uh, with an organization called, uh, with, a, I guess, a company called Talasis. Talasis was is a software company. They do back office books and records for brokerage firms. And I was a, a business analyst. So I would help type up user guides and everything for this company. So I was doing it all at the same time. And, and that's ultimately when I well, I left Talisys uh, a year and eight months ago to start the company I, I now operate now called Generous. But I worked at, at Talisys all through the bachelor, all through all those things, trying to make it work so that I could support these causes I cared about while at the same time, you know, doing the TV stuff. Yeah, obviously becoming a contestant on The Bachelorette would have changed everything for you. How did it feel to suddenly become this fan fave in the space of just a few months? I still don't know how much it sit, sat in. I mean, it's been years now. I don't know if it ever will sit in. I don't know how, like my girlfriend and I were just talking about this last night, is how the show has affected my life or changed my life. And it has definitely changed things. It's allowed me to do things I'm a lot more passionate about, a lot more purpose built in and have a lot more fun with. But it hasn't drastically affected my day to day. I still live in the same house. I drive the same car. I still have the same group of friends. So I think the weirdest part about being on The Bachelorette and being on The Bachelor is it's overnight. You can roll into a gas station in Oklahoma and somebody knows who you are or you're on a cover of a magazine or somebody's taking an interest in who you're dating and why they're dating them. That part's a little weird. But for me, it's just been a really cool ride to see how God has completely used this crazy show to allow me to work 
first and, and fight these injustices that I really do find a lot of purpose in. After The Bachelorette, you obviously selected to be the star in the next season of The Bachelor. And that you have this story about how you're gearing up to begin filming and then your friend Riley calls and he puts Honduras back at the forefront of your mind again and kind of explains mm-hmm. how you can use this exposure to sort of speak to your life purpose. Can you talk a bit more about that conversation and how it affected you? Yeah, definitely. So one of the things that happens when you get asked to be The Bachelor or let's, I mean, Let's relate this to anybody listening. And, you know, whenever I think a new opportunity hits in life, there's brand new things that come about, right? I mean, anytime you get a promotion or you get married or whatever that looks like, there's there, the, your world can get tipped upside down pretty quick. Well, for The Bachelor, what happens is you go from being a nobody working in the basement of a software company trying to figure out what life is like to then being announced as the guy that everybody it feels like in the world is watching, you know, date. And it gets really self-serving very quickly. Your head can get big. You can start believing things about yourself that are not true, both positive and negative. Your face is on the cover of magazines on the side of times square, and you can really get lost in this whole thing. It really can tip life up, and but it's also exciting, and in a sense, it's euphoric, and and it's addicting at times. And so as all this was happening, I, I'm getting ready to get on the plane to start filming, and the very last phone call I got was I called my buddy Riley, who had started Humanity Hope United. He and I were working on Humanity Hope United way before any of the show started, and he just reminded me, he said, hey, like I know this whole thing's crazy, and I know this whole thing's wild. And I, I told him, I was like, I'm starting to feel super guilty about it all. And he goes, well, what if you took this moment to use it for something way bigger than yourself? And it helped my vision and my mind readjust to say there is a purpose or a re- there's, there's something I can do with this that will actually be good that I can be proud of. And it won't just be about me. And from that moment on, it really was that I said, hey, I'm going to have a blast. I'm going to try to pursue, you know, partner. I'm going to try to pursue myself, like understand myself better. But ultimately, what this is all going to lead up to is the opportunity to impact, hopefully, millions of people with the idea that there are people out there suffering, that they need our help, and that we can work with them to help all of our lives get better. And so, yeah, it did. It changed everything in that last phone call with Riley to say, let's use this for something greater than anything I could have ever done on my own. When you were dating the women on the show, were you kind of, was one of the things you had in mind when you were looking for, you know, your potential wife, somebody who had philanthropic tendencies or interests? Ish. I think everybody <laughs> says they do. Yeah. So it's really hard to figure out. Uh, I was at a fundraiser the other night and somebody got on stage and they talked about how great of a, a philanthropist uh, this person was. And I'm sure they are. But, you know, I don't know what that necessarily means, right? I mean, it's different to just give money, which is needed. And, and definitely something to be proud of when you donate money to these organizations. What I really wanted to find is somebody who would get their hands dirty as well. Like I really wanted to find somebody that relationally would invest in some of this, this, uh, these causes and not just say, Oh yeah, I like to, I, I like to help. So it's hard in life. I think to find that partner that really wants to invest their time and efforts and sacrifice some of their own opportunities that, you know, to do something fun for this, for the sake of helping somebody else. And, you know, I found that now, but I think during the show, it was harder and harder to understand what exactly people's, you know, intentions were. 
Right, I guess because you want, must wonder whether they're just saying what they what you, what they think you want to hear from them. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, they could they could have done their research. They know you know what was important. So you never know. And I think I think the difference for me is I, I was really hoping to find somebody that would would completely invest their life into the lives of others. That's lovely. And after the show aired, one of the first things you did was take your then fiance Lauren out to Honduras. Was it nice to be able to really see, to use your profile to raise awareness and kind of help motivate other people to do the same? I think it's been great. Nine times a year, there's a group that's going down to Honduras uh, to help understand, to learn, to build relationships with the people that we've been working with for years now, and then come back to the States and advocate on their behalf. Uh, you know, this, it's been, I mean, it's been a wild ride for us at when The Bachelor happened. I think Humanity and Hope United was bringing in around like $110,000 a year in fundraising. At this point, I think we'll clear close to a million now, wow. which has allowed us to scale into new communities. Uh, now we're at f in four communities instead of two. Um, we have uh, people coming down every month on these trips. It's been, it's been incredible. Yes. Yeah, so using the awareness from the show to help push some of this mission forward has been something that has been I will, I will die knowing this is a part of my story that I'm super proud of. Did you see a big uptick in donations from Bachelor fans? Oh, definitely. Yes. I think our, our donation donor age went from like, you know, 35 year old friends of ours to a bajillion 18 to 25 year old uh, <laughs> people from all of the U.S. who are donating and going down to hundreds. That's awesome. I mean, it literally, it, it, we had a 700% uptick in donations just through that year on The Bachelor. 700%? 700%. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> you must be so proud. I, I am. Yeah. I mean, I do think I, I'm very proud. I'm more just, I guess I'm proud to participate in the, I mean, I mean this too. This sounds really cliche and I hope it, it I'm really proud to be able to see how others really want to fight for the people that maybe have a little bit less. Mm. Um, or want to fight for the people that feel unknown. So I am proud of my role in that. I'm really excited about, you know, how this whole thing has worked out. It's made my life a lot of fun and I've been able to see and participate in some stories that I will remember forever. But for the most part, what I love is the community that's gathered around in addition to me and many others to say, let's do this together. That's been the coolest thing because it gives me hope that people will never stop caring for others. Oh. Something I love is, is that Honduras and its people just seem to keep providing this well of inspiration for you. And when you're visiting in 2016, you have an idea for a business, Generous Coffee. How did that come about? We were kind of at a crossroads with the organization. So 2015 was The Bachelor. Uh, we saw that huge uptick in fundraising. Things were going well. Uh, we were entering into new communities. We were hiring on more staff in Honduras to help out. But as you can imagine, nonprofits in their in this in their models, they're unsustainable. And so we then realized very quickly that in order to keep up with what we were hoping to, to do as an organization, we need to find new and creative ways to fundraise. That the bachelor was no longer gonna be the outlet for us to keep growing as, as, as an organization. So on a trip to Honduras, we're sitting down there around a big old table one night at dinner. And one of the Hondurans look over at us and they said, what's your plan for a sustainable fundraising model? And we're like, well, we haven't thought of one yet. And they said, well, there's really two ways to do that. You either find a corporation that, want to full, that wants to fully support you all for the long term, or you can start a company of your own, 
create products and sell them and donate back. And so that's what we went with. Um, so we created a company called Generous International. Generous International was formed with the idea that we could sell products that have stories behind them. So products that are um, either handmade or the company themselves are investing into fighting injustice, facing humans around the world. And then we would donate 100% of our profits back to nonprofits or social causes, Humane Hope United being our main beneficiary, that are also out there fighting for the for the uh, to help people feel known and be known around the world. So that's where Generous comes in. We're best known today as Generous Coffee Company. Generous Coffee sells specialty grade coffee online at generouscoffee.com. Or we have uh, shops popping up very quickly uh, right now in Denver and hopefully throughout the Midwest here very soon. But Generous Coffee is specialty grade coffee that's single origin, it's traceable. We sell it uh, online and then we donate 100% of our profits. And we are a for-profit company. We like to call ourselves a for-purpose company because I think it makes more sense. Mm -hmm. um, and we've been operating that now. Uh, we started in January of 2018. I feel like a lot of people would love to have or start a purpose-driven business like yours. What are some things you've learned about being an entrepreneur in the last few years? You're only going to be as good as the people that you surround yourself with. And I've heard that a thousand times from a thousand different people, but I mean it. I, I am incredibly, uh, in, I am just so incapable of doing anything that Generous has done on my own. We are a lot better together than we are apart. And so that's my first, to surround yourself with really talented people who are passionate about the idea of the business as well. The second, you know, the, the thing for us that's been great is because of, you know, my podcast and my other like ventures hosting different things, I'm able to work for Generous for free. So I, I give up as much time as I need, you know, 50 to 70 hours a week working on Generous, but I'm able to do it for free because of the benefits that I have outside of it. Now, not everybody has that luxury, and I get that, but it has been great for us. One, it keeps me doing it for the right reason, so I can I, I can't get a huge head uh, about it. Two, I think uh, for our bottom line, it obviously helps, and then it also has been really fun for me personally um, to use Generous as kind of a sounding board um, on these podcasts or on these shows because it helps me connect with people like you. Like people want to hear about Generous because of the work that it's doing. You don't necessarily want to hear about, you know, the random host, you know, hosting gig that I have in Denver tomorrow night. But this allows me to meet people like you who are inspired as well to try to make the world a better place. But here's my advice for anybody out there um, that wants to start a for-purpose business. One, make sure that your mission is sustainable and it's actually doing good for the world. Everybody has, you know, things that they, they care about. Um, and sometimes our pursuit can cause more harm than good. So that's the first. Check yourself. Make sure you're in the, your head's in the right place. Make sure you're doing this for the right reasons. The second is to find a cause that you are so insanely sold out on because it gets really hard. For starting a company in itself is hard. Hearing and being affected by the stories of the people or whatever cause you're, uh, you know, working with is hard. So make sure that you are sold out on the idea and you're passionate about the idea that you're going after. And really the third and final thing is buckle up because it's going to be a wild ride and it's going to be really hard. There's going to be a lot of failure and there's going to be a lot of successes. But ultimately, the only, in my opinion, true form of failure is when you stop. And I think for anybody that's an entrepreneur or anybody that's really going out there to fight for a cause they care about, they have to have the idea in the back of their head that it's going to be oh, nearly impossible for them to ever give up. 
this kind of work must really meld together the heartbreak with these incredibly uplifting moments too. How has it affected you as a person and the way that you see the world? Oh, man. (laughs) Big question. Yeah, that's tough. You know, I think for me, it makes me cry out, uh, you know, just as I said before, it makes me cry out to God and it makes me beg for God to respond. Uh, I think that's one thing that's been frustrating. It's been exciting. I think because of the successes and the failures, it makes me call out to something, hey, there has to be a purpose to this whole thing and it has to be bigger than me. That's one response I, I traditionally have. And that happens often. The second is to see the smile. And, and again, this is all going to come off pretty corny. And I think for sad that, you know, some of these commercials and things have been ruined for us. But to see a kid smile with like true joy uh, will always encourage me and will always change my worldview. Because what it's done is making these these things projects uh, the mission to help alleviate poverty ha- was a project. Instead, it's made me look at each human and look them in the eyes, no matter if they're in the U.S. and they're super wealthy or in Honduras or in Africa, wherever they're at, and look at them as humans and say, you, you matter so much. And I, and I want that mindset for the rest of my life. And I think helping and hearing these stories and hearing how people uh, work through devastating trauma and hearing how people celebrate incredible joys it's allowed me to get a more full and holistic worldview to say at the end of it all, we might have a thousand questions, but ultimately I hope that I never lose sight that people matter so much. And that at the end of it, if one person is affected and if one person, one kid can smile and fear, feel joy, then it's all been worth it. And I, maybe that's it. I mean, I, and I think I'm okay with that. If that's all I can walk away from this whole thing with, I think I'm good with having a lot of love and a lot of respect for people. Ben, thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really touching and also very inspiring. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And thanks for asking me. Before I let you go, I have a couple of quick fire questions for you. Let's do it. The first one is, uh, what is the one thing that you believe every person should experience in their lifetime? Uh, I I think everybody should feel and see uh, the devastation that poverty has on people. I think it will give, I think it would allow all of us, especially in the U.S., to have a better worldview and a more authentic worldview of what's happening outside of our bubble. Very good answer. Um, The second one is, if you could teleport anywhere just for the day, where would you go and what would you do? Right now, well, I'm feeling pretty rested right now. Traditionally, (laughs) it would be like a beach somewhere, like in the Caribbean, because I'm, I, you know, when work's like overloading me, it's just nice to think I'd d- disappear for a little bit. But uh, I'm really wanting to check out Rome. I really want to learn more about the history, see the history up close in person. I want to understand how things worked back then. And so I go to Rome and I would just take a big old tour. Hmm. Rome is delightful. Well, I feel like now I'm going to have to look up these trips to Honduras and maybe sign up for one next year. <laughs> Please come when I'm going down. I would really love it. And it would be really fun to to show you around. I would love to. Thanks again. Thank you so much. And again, thanks for letting me be a part of this. If you're wondering how you can help, join Ben and the Humanity and Hope team in Honduras. There are nine trips in 2020 and prices start at $650 plus airfare. Also, if you're a coffee drinker, which who isn't, 
Why not buy some beans from generouscoffee.com and make a positive impact while getting your caffeine fix? One more thing before you go about your day. Full-Time Travel recently added an amazing travel advisor to our team, and I want to take a minute here to shout her out because booking through an advisor is such a travel hack, it's crazy more people don't know about it. Her name is Chelsea Martin. She's an affiliate of Embark and Virtuoso, and she's also a travel influencer in her own right. You can find her on Instagram at Passport to Friday. Chelsea has amazing relationships with hotels, tour operators, and locals all over the world. And not only will she sort the logistics and take all the stressful planning off your hands, she also scores insane perks at no extra cost to you. Think room upgrades, free cocktails, spa discounts, and late checkouts to name just a few. So whether you want to book an extravagant honeymoon or just want to secure the best hotel for your budget, Chelsea has you covered. Just drop her an email at chelsea at fttadvisor.com. That's chelsea at fttadvisor.com and start planning your dream trip with VIP perks today. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope you liked it. I'll be back in two weeks time to share more inspiring travel stories. And in the meantime, you can learn more about us by visiting fulltimetravel.co or following us on Instagram at full underscore time underscore travel. If you have a story you want to share on the trip that changed me, drop us a line. And please be sure to rate, review and subscribe so we can keep this adventure going. 